0: All right, well, this morning, um, we're going to go ahead and get going with the second part of, uh, of our roadmap. We talked about evangelize, equip, and empower. It's kind of the roadmap, the motto, if you will, of Living Hope Family Church. And last week, we went through the, the evan- evangelization part. We talked about how important it is, the need it is for, for people to hear about Jesus Christ, that there's a world out there of people that are lost, they have no hope. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure that we can offer to them and, and give them the hope that they're looking for, that, that hole that they have in their heart that needs filling. We need to tell them about Jesus because that's the only thing that's going to fill that for them. So after that, that's all well and good. And we've, we've talked to them about Jesus. They get saved, but then what? That's the next part of what we're going to deal with today. And that's the equipping part. You see, the problem is, is that after we've introduced people to the Lord, it's imperative that we don't just stop there matter of fact, it's probably the biggest problem that the church in the United States has is we are incredibly good at making converts. I mean, have you seen some of these crusades that people do? They put, I mean, they put on an awesome show. And uh, it's great, you know, it gets people in. They come in and they see these, you know, concerts or whatever, these awesome things going on. And they come in and they, 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 they have an experience with God. These people have a real experience with God. And they say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus. And they do that and they have these altar calls and thousands of people get saved. But then nobody ever follows up. These people get saved and they're just left there. And and as the Bible says, you know, they they receive the word, but the the devil is there like birds in the air snatching the seed out of the ground. And if nobody's there to follow up with them and work with them, that, that word is stolen from them and they're left just where they were. There's no growth and nothing changes in their lives. And even the smaller churches, a lot of times we have problems with that. There's no follow-up. People get slipped through the cracks. If you've ever been to a big church, you know how easy it is to slip through the cracks. You know, and as, as a church here, Living off the Church, our goal is to never let anybody slip through the cracks. Everyone knows that after their first time here, I called you that week to say thank you for coming because I want to make sure that you know that you're loved, that we care about you. And I want you to know that this is, you know, this is more than just being here on, on one Sunday morning. But the fact is, is that we want to invest into your life so that you can invest into the kingdom of God as well. You see, equipping, the equipping part is discipleship. How many you know that uh, the, the Great Commission is not going to all the world to make converts, but it says go to all the world to make disciples? We want to walk with people. We want to encourage them. And we want to help them grow. Because the truth is that everybody has a calling, everybody has a purpose in the church of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. You know, it talks about, the Bible talks about how we're made up as a body and every, every part is important. You know, your, your body without an eye would be, would, is, is a poor experience of living. Your body without a leg is a poor experience of living. Even without your big toe, you'll just fall on your face. It's very important for balance, but nobody thinks much of the big toe. But the truth is, every part of the body is important, and everybody has a calling. God has good works for all of us to do, and the truth is that the work of the, of the body of Christ is not just left to the pastors and evangelists, the people that are going out. And all too often in the American church, that's who it gets left to. You know, I, don't have to, talk to my, I don't have to talk to anybody about Jesus because that's what the pastor will do. That's what the, you know, the, the, the higher-ups in the church, they're going to take care of all that. But the truth is, that's for all of us to do. And that's part of being equipped to do that. We have to be trained and and we have to grow to be able to do that. And the truth is that Jesus is the perfect example of evangelizing, equipping, and empowering. If you remember, at first he walked out and he found people and he said, follow me. He said, I'll make you fisher of men. He was out there evangelizing. He was telling them what he had to offer. And then he began to equip him, the, the disciples, especially the 12, the 12 apostles, those 12 disciples followed him and they learned underneath him and they studied underneath him. And he spent time and he invested in their lives. And then what did he do after that? He sent them off. He sent them off to, to do the work. And that's the, he empowered them. That'll be the next part. He empowered them to go and fulfill their ministry. The tr- but the truth is that the saints, which is all of us, you know, it's kind of a, a, a misnomer where, or, you know, in other, in other uh, uh, denominations that to be a saint, you have to pass a certain amount of tests and all these things. But the truth is, if you read the New Testament, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. That's the only difference. If you're not saved, you're a sinner. If you're saved, you're a saint. Isn't it good to know that we're not sinners anymore? Even if we sin, sinner is an identity and saint is an identity. And we're now saints. But the truth is that we need to be equipped so that we can be ready in season and out of season. We can be ready for, for every good work. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today is the equipping part. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, it says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then the same ideas in 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as the people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh." For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See, the first thing that Paul is dealing with is is babies, baby Christians. They're they're, they're spiritual infants, is what he calls them here. Infants in Christ. You know that when babies are born, they can't ingest solid food. If you've ever tried to feed a baby solid food, you're actually going to to cause serious internal problems for them and and ultimately if they're too young eventually it can kill them if you if you give them too much solid food. I was reading some just some statistics on it and they found that the early introduction of solid foods has also been linked to increased risk of obesity, diabetes, eczema, and celiac disease. I mean obviously there's a, a time and place for solid food, but when they're an infant it's not the time. You can't chew a steak without teeth. And the truth is, if you've ever talked to me about, if you've ever talked to me about, uh, new believers will come to me and say, you know, where should I start reading? What should I do? And my recommendation is to, to stick with the Book of John through Jude, because the the gospels kind of repeat themselves. So if you start with John and you work through Jude, I want you to read that at least a half a dozen times before you ever even get to the Old Testament. And the reason being is because if you start in the Old Testament. I mean, that's solid food when you're not ready. If you read the Old Testament without being influenced by the New Testament, without the light of the New Testament, how I mean, you know, it looks like God It's just kind of a vindictive God. He's out there to get people. But when you begin to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, you see that he's a loving God. You see what he's doing and, and why these things are happening and why stuff is in place to, so that Jesus could come and, and, and die for us, so we could be forgiven. You begin to see God in a different light, even though you're reading the same words. I mean that's that's solid food before you're ready for it. The truth is when you're a young Christian, it's the same for you. There's a period where you need to grab hold of the basics. I mean the basics are basically this. I am forgiven. I am holy. I am loved. Those are the, the big basics, you know. You have to when you first become a believer, you're you're just shocked that God's not I mean my idea when I before I got saved was God was out there with this big stick. He was just waiting for me to mess up so he could smack my knees out from underneath me. And then I began to learn. No, He's a loving God. He's a loving Father. He loves me, and He sent His Son to die for me. And I found out that when His Son died for me, that I'm then I'm holy. I'm worthy. I'm not. Uh, you know, when 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 you're young in Christ and you're first learning, or before that, you think, man, I'm not worthy. Why would God love me? Doesn't he know the things that I've done? But then you find out that no, he loves you, and he has made you holy, and he has forgiven you. And then as you continue to grow, you start getting hold of a little bit stronger concepts, stronger truth, and you go, not only am I loved and forgiven, but you know what? I was, I was made whole by the blood of the Lamb. I'm, for, I'm, I'm healed of all those things. He paid the price for that. We find out that we're victorious, we find out that we're free from sin. You don't just find out, you know, the beginning you find out you're forgiven, but then finally you realize that not only am I, I forgiven, but I'm so much more than forgiven. I've been set free from the bondage of sin. But that's a growth period. You have to you have to work your way through that stuff. It's a process. You see, and Paul here is dealing with people that have, that have already sort of got through that stuff. He says, basically, by this time you ought to have been teachers, but you've become dull of hearing. And what he means by that is, is that they basically have have either chosen to, to ignore the Word or they're just pushing it so far away that they can't, they've become dull of hearing. They're no longer hearing what the Word of God has for them. They were unable or unwilling to hear and instead started slipping back into infancy. But Paul's saying, no, you need to grow. By this time, not only should you have, have grown and gotten on solid food, but you should be teaching others. You ought to be the teacher's. This is our goal with new believers as well as we go into this part of our roadmap. is we want to be investing in others and equipping them and helping them grow. That's actually why you go to church on Sundays. You know you don't come to church to be entertained. You, know, you shouldn't. If that's why you're here, you need to think about it. Hopefully there is some, some value to which you're not bored out of your mind. You know, I always feel bad when I look at it. If you've never stood up before a crowd... And I've I've always wondered, I'm like, man, do I look like this? Because you you look out and everyone's just like. <laughs> and then it's I, I I tell myself it's they're just concentrating. They're, they're not mad at you. They're not bored. Because man, if you could see, you get, and it's a matter where it's small groups like this, you get in these big groups and you look out and everybody like, I must be terrible at this. I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> Oh, that's right. But we're not here to be entertained. We're here to be equipped. We're here to, to, to grow so that we can be effective, and teachers to others are going to be effective in other people's lives. And in this church, that's what our goal is here. That's why uh, we talk about the different things that we do, and we have outreaches, and we have Bible studies, and we have church on Sunday. And, man, every time the doors are open, you should be there so you can be being strengthened and growing and equipped so you can be effective in the kingdom of God. You know the the other great thing about growing in God is we find here that that as we have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice, we are able to distinguish good from evil you know there's a there's a lot of times people are wondering you know. What's allowed, what's not, what's not allowed, which is actually a terrible way to look at the Bible. If you know, What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? But I want you to know, if you spend time in your word, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. you begin to, to know these things. You'll be able to discern good from evil. Even things that aren't specifically mentioned in the Bible, as you begin to become closer to God, you become more intimate with Him, you begin to have His mind, you'll begin to know what's okay and what's not okay. You begin to grow and be able to discern good from evil, distinguish it. That's part of growing in the body, and it's very important that we grow into that. And the funny thing is, I guess it's not terribly funny. It's kind of it's a sad thing, but the Corinthian church is having the same problem. I want you to know that this wasn't just unique to the uh, to the Jews that Paul was talking to here, and it wasn't unique to the to the Gentile, the Corinthian church here. But this is. All across the world, we're having the same problem, is that people are refusing to grow into Christ. Christianity is a Sunday thing. Or it's a, you know, the, the main holiday thing. We go on Easter and Christmas because you know, we're cultural Christians instead of disciples. And we want to move away to that. We want to move away from being cultural Christians. We want to be disciples, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find out here that our actions indicate our level of maturity. We find out here it says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. And why? Because you are still of the flesh. You're acting with jealousy and strife. Behaving only in a human way. Our actions indicate our level of maturity. And as we mature in Christ, we begin to act less fleshly as it's referred to here. Basically, we start acting less selfish. We stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about others. We start acting like Jesus and start acting less like men of this world. There was once a preacher that said that most Christians are betweeners. And what he meant by that was is they are between Egypt and Canaan they're out of the place of danger but not yet into the place of rest and rich inheritance they are between good friday and easter sunday saved by the blood but not yet enjoying newness of the resurrection newness of the resurrection life and that's what our goal is to grow into that to stop being just saved to start being powerhouses for the kingdom of god amen in 1st corinthians 13:11 through 2 or 11 through 12, sorry, it says, When I was a child, I was to speak like a ch- I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but when then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a child. You know, we've talked about we need to grow up, but I want you to know there's, there's nothing wrong with being a child that's part of the process. You know, when we have children in our physical lives, it's okay for them to be babies, and then, then children, adolescents, and it's okay for them to grow. Nothing wrong with being a child. If you're, if you're a new believer, it's okay to not know everything right away. I want you to know that, that as soon as you get saved, a, a light switch doesn't go off, and you know all the oracles of God, all the mysteries of God. It's a process. You have to grow. And when our children are younger, they need help for many things. You know, how, how often have you woke up and I got up and, and prepared her own breakfast? Yeah, I mean, I. She's, she's going on two years old. Is she two yet? She just turned two, yeah, just yesterday, or the other day. Just turned two years old. I mean, we still, she needs, still needs to have food made for her. How many of you know she's, she's not going to the bathroom on her own yet? She still needs help with using the restroom. You know, I remember when I was a kid, or when I was a kid, when the girls were younger. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, too, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> when I was younger, the, the kids, as they they gotten out of diapers, but they still needed help in the bathroom. I and mean, come wipe my butt, Dad. That's, you have to do that as they're growing up. How many of you know that if Haley were to do that to me now, we'd have to talk about it? <laughs> you know? If, if, if after church today I hear, Dad, come wipe my butt, it's going to be a problem. But she's grown up. She's grown past. I want you to know that's not actually happening. This, even though her face is red and she's worried up here, <laughs> she can wipe her own butt. Praise God. There's a time for them to be children, but there's a time that they have to grow up. When children are young, they use one word commands when they want something because they haven't developed a full vocabulary. Juice up. Tell you what, if Blake were to come to right now and be like, dad juice, I'd smack him across the head. <laughs> Go get your own juice. You know, that's, that's not how it works. As they get older, they can't do the same things. They have to grow. Paul says that when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. We're called to grow. Growing up is also about learning who you are. As you grow up, you begin to to learn what your likes are, your dislikes are. You begin to learn what you're good at, what you're not good at. It's a process. And the truth is is, this is mirrored in the spiritual realm as well. We have to learn who we are. There's only a slight difference because as we're growing up in the physical world, people are different people. They grow into different things. But growing up spiritually is growing up into Christ. That's who we are. We have the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. You also, when you're growing up as a child, you're kind of trained to live a certain way. You know, that, that's what the Bible says, train your child in the way that, that he should go so that when they, they grow older, they'll not depart from it. Because we want to train our children well, that they'll grow up to be godly men and women. And the same thing can happen in the body of Christ. We want to trade, train and, and, and raise up our, our spiritual children well as well. As well words don't work right together. We want want them to grow up well. That They would grow up to be godly men and women. We we want to, in this body, raise new believers as they come in and they they know Christ. We want to lift them up, encourage them, help them grow that they would be effective. It's all part of this equipping process. That's kind of what he's talking about here. He says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know. That's growing into who you are, knowing fully who you are in Christ. And it's always a growing process. And he's talking about here when Christ returns, we're going we're gonna to look at Jesus and it'll be look, like looking in a perfect mirror. We'll finally understand fully who we are. But how I many you know we can grow into that right now? We don't have to wait till we see Jesus. We can grow into the measure and stature that is the fullness of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4:14 4, through 16, we find out why it's important that we're growing. It says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, there's a danger in always staying a child if we don't grow, and that is that you'll never grow to be stable on your own. You see, you hear a lot less often about grown men and women being kidnapped than you do children, because children are an easier target. You know, a grown man can easily whisk away a three-, four-year-old, and they can't do anything to stop it. They, They can't struggle against it and we we run the same risk as spiritual infants as well because we have nothing to stand on our own it's so easy to be influenced by another just like a child can easily be persuaded by you know a man in a white van saying hey come with me i have candy infants in christ can be easily persuaded by any every wind of doctrine or human cunning, crackiness or deceitful schemes. And it's only in growth do we learn to guard ourselves against those things. As you begin to learn the Word of God, you begin to say, hey, wait a minute, what you're telling me doesn't line up with the Word of God. And I need, you know, the stranger danger. And as we grow, he starts talking about how we can do that. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. I want you to know that speaking the truth in love is, is not our excuse to point out everybody's flaws and failures. That's not what he's talking about. Speaking the truth in love is, you know, I'm telling you this in love, brother, but you're, you know, you're really screwing up. You're really, that's not speaking the truth in love. You know, that, using this as an excuse to point out people's failures is, is a poor excuse of being a mature Christian. You want to know what speaking the truth in love really means? If somebody's struggling, you don't say, Wow, man, you're really messing up, but you say, You know what? In Jesus Christ, you're victorious. Now, in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, and you're no longer a slave to the sin you're dealing with. That's speaking the truth in love. The truth is not that they're a failure. The truth is that in Jesus Christ, they're victorious, that they're forgiven, that they are free. The truth is saying, reminding somebody that they're pure when they're feeling guilty about something. Reminding somebody that they're loved when they're feeling unloved. Reminding people that, no, they are victorious, that they are more than conquerors. When they're struggling with, with sickness in their body, pointing out how sick they are is not speaking the truth. The truth is saying, you know what? By His stripes, you're healed. When they're struggling and they're feeling weak in an area, you're telling them how much they're messing up. Is not the truth in love, but it's telling them to know that they are, they are strong in Him and in Christ. They can do everything. That's speaking the truth in love. And in doing so, we build each other up. We encourage each other. We strengthen the body of Christ. Because when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, as believers, we need to continue to grow so that we're stable in our walk, like I said, equipped to handle every scheme or doctrine that would come our way. But growth isn't just for the individual. As we're talking here, growth is is, is good for the body as well. Our entire body needs to grow. You guys ever seen those, those bodybuilders that all they ever do is work out their arms and their chest? I mean, you see them from the from the waist up; they're looking great. You're like, man, you're. But you see them from the waist down; looks like they got boy, like legs of a little twelve-year-old boy. Like, I think you forgot something. There's a problem with that. There's the body is not balanced, and 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 that person going through life is going to have struggle with anything that has to do with their legs, even though their upper body is incredibly strong. The same is for the body of Christ. We want everybody to grow up and equip so that the body grows strong because. If part of us is weak then it impacts the entire body and that's why it's so important that we equip the Saints and we don't let them just get saved and and fall through the cracks in Acts 18 24 through 26 it says and the reason I bring this one up is now we got uh, there's the danger of going well I'm already a mature believer I already know pretty much so I'm good to go there's a danger in that as well limiting your growth to a certain level. Because the truth is, we always have room to grow. The the most incredible pastors and men of God that I've ever spoken to, they still have room to grow. Paul himself, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, I have not attained it yet. He was still growing. But in Acts 18:24 through 26 says, "Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus." That's some good stuff. How would you like those things said about you? Eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, and fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. It says, but though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Those are pretty high levels of praise for this man that's out there preaching, Apollos. But he still had room to grow. We find out that Priscilla and Aquila came to him and it says they explained to him the way of God more accurately. You see, everyone can continue to be equipped and continue to grow. Even those of us who have been Christians for a long time that are, have a higher level of maturity than maybe others, we still have room to grow. In 1 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become, may become wise. You know, if you think yourself too wise, you'll never allow yourself to be taught because you know it all. 1 Corinthians 8.2 says it, says it this way. I like how, how Paul says it here. He says, if anyone imagine, imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. We all have room to grow. Pastor Mike, who I think is probably my pastor from the church in Tucson, is, is one of the strongest theologians that I've ever heard speak. He, he knows his Bible better than, than anybody I've ever known. You know, it's funny because it's such a blessing to be trained underneath him as I, as I was rose up underneath him and trained underneath him because I had such an advantage. But at the same time, I look at where he is and where I'm at and I'm like, man, am I ever going to be there? I mean, he knows so much. But yet I've talked to him and every time he reads the Bible, he sees something new. He's still growing every day. And the truth is that's the same for all of us. No matter where we are in our growth, we need to, to make sure that we are constantly being equipped in the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about the, the five-fold ministry, and we talk about what its purpose is here. And it's actually kind of where this comes from, is, is equipping the saints. This part of our roadmap comes from this right here. Ephesians four eleven through 13 says, Then he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Other, other translations say the, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints of the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See this here, the five-fold ministry. You guys ever heard it called that? Pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. This is The fivefold ministry is what it's been called. Many people think in our head... They're here to do all the work. You know, it's the evangelists that are going to go out there and and reach the lost. It's the pastors who are going to be be, uh, shepherding the flock, and the teachers are going to be teaching them, and the apostles, you know, people with the gift of those are the ones that are going to plant churches, and they're going to to do these guys. Oh, man, these guys are the heavy hitters. These are the guys that that God has lifted up in the church. And, and, you know, I'm just here on Sunday to to maybe learn something and have a good time, but these guys are the ones doing the work. But the truth is, it says that the purpose of these, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is my job as a pastor, is to equip you guys to do the work of the ministry so that you can go out there and reach the lost. So that you're ready in season and out of season to give, uh, a te- to give uh, an example of your hope, to, to be a witness, to give your testimony. You need to be, my job is to equip you to be ready for those things. When somebody asks you a question that you're ready to answer those questions because you spent time on the Word, you spent time learning underneath me so that you're ready to do those things. You see, it's all too often that we'll go out and we'll neglect to witness to people because we figure that these guys are going to take care of it. Or we figure it's the pastor's job to pray for people. Matter of fact, some people even have it so ingrained in them that when when there's a time for prayer, that they don't want to go to anybody else but the pastor because somehow only the pastor has a direct line to God and only his prayer will work. But the truth is, any one of us can pray for another in this body and it'll be just as effective as if I pray or Joseph prays or anybody else. Or maybe we figure it's the Sunday school teacher's job to, to teach our children about the ways of God. But the truth is, their job is to just equip the saints. Our job is, is to equip our children, to equip... Them. I mean, it's all, we are supposed to be lifted up to work in the ministry, all of us. We all have a part to play. You see, these offices, these positions are looking to build the body of Christ, to grow the church so that it can have the impact that it should have. Our goal as a church is, is one, to grow numerically so we can have a bigger sphere of influence, but we also need to grow spiritually and individually so that we can have the greatest impact around us how many know that if we grew to 500 people but nobody was mature in Christ that we'd be a pretty pretty much a, an ineffective bunch of people for the kingdom of God we would just be a, a big gathering on Sunday mornings but not doing anything for the kingdom of God and that's not what our goal is we want to reach the loss we want to make an impact in the city around us and in order to do that the people that are brought in have to be equipped and raised up See, the goal of these ministries is to help believers grow so will reach the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I want you to know that as a, as a church, speaking of the Church of Jesus Christ, not locally, we're not there yet. You can look at all the different denominations and, and see that we're not in, a, in an area of unity of the faith. It's something that we're growing into. But that's what the, these, these are here for, is to help people grow into that maturity. So how do we do that so how do we equip the saints how do we grow into doing these things and the first thing we need to do is we always need to look to the scripture in 2 timothy 3 16-17 it says all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness why that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work see we know that we're to grow and we're to help to see others grow but now we can, we can easily be at a loss of what do we need to do to do these things. But the word of God, as we know, is, is, is God's love letter to us. He, he talks about how he sent his son, and it's his, it's his love letter to us. It shows us how much he loves us. But it's also our instruction manual. The scriptures teach us how we need to be equipped. They actually teach us how to equip. They teach us how to grow. In reading the word, we learn who we are in him, and we learn his promises towards us you know all this growth that we talked about you would never know that you're victorious if you didn't spend some time on the word and you begin to read that in, in Christ I'm more than a conqueror you read the word and that's when you get the revelation of those things if you never read your Bible if you never spend time in the scriptures you'll never grow because you'll never learn these things you know once on Sunday morning is just not enough to get you through In Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want your faith to grow, spend time in the word. When we spend time in the word of God, our faith is increased. We have revelation of his promises. And you know the great thing about having your faith increase? The the more you trust God, the more your faith is increased, the less likely you are to be led away by some other strange doctrine to put your trust in something else if you trust God with all your heart you're not going to place your trust in your, in, your, in your employer to make sure that you're taken care of you're going to place your trust in God and then in Joshua 1.8 it says this it says the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous then you will have good success who wants to be prosperous or have great success I know I do. The Bible says that have the book of the law in your mouth and meditate on it day and night. And before you get all worried, Christian meditation is a whole lot different than Eastern meditation. You know, the Eastern meditation is all about, you know, emptying your mind and, and letting everything out. You put yourself in a bad way when you empty your mind because then anything can just make its way in there. It's empty. It's got plenty of room. But... Medi- Christian meditating is not about emptying your mind of all things, but rather filling it with the Word of God. That Hebrew word there used for, for meditate there in Joshua 1.8, uh, it, it's translated, it means to moan, to growl, to utter, to speak, or to muse. So when he says that, but you shall meditate on it day and night, what he's saying is that basically you need to re- speak it repeatedly. Just repeatedly speak the Word of God. Are you having having trouble with, uh, with 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 something in your body healing-wise? You just keep repeating to yourself, by his stripes, I am healed. Or know that you had hands laid on you for healing, and the word says that if you lay hands on a the sick, they will recover. Are you struggling in an area of of freedom? Or are you struggling with with an addiction? Say, I am I'm free in Jesus Christ, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. How many know that every time you're having a problem, if you just say that, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, you're going to begin to have a breakthrough. As you repeat the Word of God, you meditate on it. The key to growth is spending time in His Word, reading and meditating on His Word. Say it out loud. You know, your, your favorite scriptures, begin to say them out loud. Post scriptures on the wall around your house in areas that you're struggling since you're constantly reminded of His Word. Because with the knowledge of the Word of God, we are equipped for every situation. And like I've said before, it's the reason why when I preach, you see scriptures all over the the board all the time. I'll also use other scriptures I bring in because scripture is the only thing that's truth. It's the the most important thing. And when you hear scripture, your faith grows. Next it says we need to abide in His Word. Not just read it, but actually abide and remain in His Word. John 8, 31-32 says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, you may, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So first we find two things. One, we need to abide in his word. And actually, that word abide... It means to accept or act in accordance with. The, the, the English tr- uh, definition is to accept or act in accordance with. So one, to abide in his word means to accept his word as truth and act in accordance with it. But also the Greek word can also be translated to remain, to abide or to remain, to remain in his word. How many of you can't read through it once and you're good to go? You've got to keep coming back, spending time in it. That's what we talk about here. It says be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Up here we know we have to spend time in it, remain in his word. And down here it says be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what that means is, is that's, a, I mean, that's a command. And how many knows that that doesn't just happen by osmosis? I mean, you can't take the, the Bible and just sleep on it and be good to go and you're going to have it all in your head the next morning. But it says be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's telling you to do it. Get out there and get transformed. You be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that can only happen by spending time in His Word as you have greater revelation of His promises and His his victories in your life. You see, His Word is truth. And only the truth of the Gospel can set you free from what's going on in your life. Because people go looking for truth everywhere. Matter of fact, it's a, it's a common idea in our society that truth is subjective. Anybody ever heard that truth is subjective? It's kind of hogwash if you think about it. Because there was, a, and I forget her name, I think she was a, a professor at a Wellesley College. And she said something along the lines of, if, if truth is subjective, then truth is made by the people with the loudest voices. And have you noticed that maybe in our society? <laughs> the loudest voices are determining truth because they're just heard more. But There's a problem with that. Truth can't be subjective. Truth is objective. And truth is the Word of God. The Gospel is truth. And it's the only thing that can set you free in this world. All right i got way more notes on this, but we're going to try to get moving forward, otherwise we'll be here all day. James 1, 22-25, it says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You remember when I was talking earlier that you can, the, the sign of maturity, you can see the signs of maturity in somebody's actions. And that's what we're seeing here is that, that as we mature, we begin to stop just being hearers of the word, but we become doers of the word. If you want to be an ineffective Christian, which I hope nobody in here does, but if you want to be an ineffective Christian, just show up to church on Sunday and do nothing else. Be, you know, the, the, the idea of this cultural Christianity where we're a Christian in name only. Matter of fact, he says here that if anyone is a, is a hearer of a word and not a doer, we find out that he is deceiving himself. If you're a doer of the word and, and, if, <clears throat> and not hearers only, you're, you're deceiving yourself if all you do is hear the word. This is actually what James was talking about. If we go a little bit farther in the chapter, you guys ever heard the faith and works argument? You know, uh, we maintain that, that faith is by grace and not by works. It's, it's solely the gift of God. But James was seeing that this was being abused a little bit. So in James chapter 2, 14 through 18, he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacked in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, what he's getting at is we need to be doers of the word. We need to act on our faith. What he's saying here is not that your works is what's going to save you. He's not making the point that, and he actually sums it up so clearly when he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. James is never arguing that works will save you. What he's saying is is that if you say you have faith, but there's nothing to show for it, I question your faith is what James is saying. Because if you had real faith, there would be evidence. The Bible says that you know a tree by its fruit. And the same thing is going on here. If you're you're a believer, if you're growing in Christ, you're going to be a doer of the Word. You're not just going to sit there and listen to it. And, you know, it's like coming in on Sunday morning, and you get excited, you hear the Word of God, you have a a touch from the Word of God, and it ignites some faith inside of you, and you're pumped up and ready to tackle the world. You remember, you, you hear me say that, oh yeah, I'm victorious, and you remember. But as soon as you leave it begins to fade and wither away, just like the the Word that was snatched away by the birds or the Word that was entangled in the weeds like the affairs of this world. If you don't actually spend some time acting on the Word of God, spending time in the Word of God outside of Sunday morning, then that is snatched away from you. It is stolen from you. But we need to act on the Word of God. So what does that mean? That means that when someone's sick, you lay hands on them. Because that's what we're instructed to do. That means we need to be praying for one another. I don't want, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of us prayed for the rest of the people in this congregation this week? Something to think about. We need to be pr- that living, acting on the Word of God, praying for our brethren. We need to be renewing our mind like we just read, spending time in the Word and, and letting our faith grow and our knowledge grow. The Bible says the Word is speak to mountains. That's being a do-over-the-Word. If something's going on in your life, stand up to it, say, Say, be cast into the sea. Like we've heard before, sometimes it's time to stop telling God about our problems, but start telling our problems about our God. We need to claim and walk in victory. That's being a doer of the word. And we need to exercise our freedom. What that means is that you've been freed from the bondage of sin and death. You've been freed from sin. If you're still engaging in some sin that had a hold on you, you're not exercising that freedom. Instead, you're like, like a person that was uh, bound in a, in, a, in a cell, and someone came in and unlocked all the doors and opened the doors, but instead of walking out of the cell, you just sat in there. You just stayed in the cell, even though the door was fully open. That's, that's the, the reality of a lot of us. We've been free, but we just remain in our cell. But it's time to start acting on the word, be doers of the word. See, the folly of only being a hearer of the word and not a doer is hypocrisy. When you start hearing about, you know, hypocrite Christians, that's usually the problem. They talk a good game, but they don't ever do it. They've heard these things, but they don't ever do it. They're not doers of the word. In 1993, there was an annual meeting of the the American Heart Association, and 300,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers met in Atlanta to discuss, among other things, the importance of low-fat diet plays in keeping your heart healthy. Yet during mealtimes, they consumed fat-filled fast foods such as bacon, cheeseburgers, and fries, at about the same rate as people from other conventions. When one cardiologist was asked whether or not his partaking in high-fat meals set a bad example, he replied, not me, because I took my name tag off. You know, it's funny, we laugh, and they're like, that's ridiculous. But if you take a step back and look at some Christians, that's what we're doing. We need to be doers of the Word. So the next thing I want to look at is we're looking at growing up and being equipped. What is it we are, are, are attaining to? What are, the, what are the guidelines of being equipped in the body of Christ? And we're going to look at two scriptures here. Uh, all through First Timothy, basically three one through thirteen, and we see the requirements of an overseer and requirements of a deacon. And how of you know that in the New Testament church there's only two positions? There's overseers or your elders, and there's deacons, which are basically servants those who are serving in the body of Christ, and then there's the, the elders who are the leadership in the body of Christ. You know, it's funny, if you go through, you know, we have, uh, in my title is pastor, other people's titles as priest or bishop or cardinal. I mean, there's there's tons of all these titles that we've kind of thrown in there, but truthfully, I'm operating in a position of overseer or an elder. The pa- a pastor is an elder, a leader in the church. And everybody else is is wanting to be lifted up to deacons. That's what we should attain to, is one or the other. And the funny thing is, is, the requirements for both are really quite similar. So let's go ahead and take a look at them. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it says, The saying is trustworthy. Trust. trust I almost made it through without messing up my words today, I think. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Moreover, he must be well thought of by, the out, by outsiders so that he may not fall in disgrace into a snare of the devil. So this first one we're looking at is the overseer, the elder of the church, the leadership of the church. First, how I many know it's a good thing to aspire to be an overseer? It says he desires a noble task. There's nothing wrong to want to, to work in that area of ministry for the, for the, for the body of Christ actually i was told when i was when i felt like god called me to be a pastor the advice given to me was if you can do anything else do it and the reason they said that is because if you're called to it you can't do anything else but if you can cuz this you know being a pastor is hard the truth is that it's 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 oftentimes thankless you, you get hurt a lot as you see people struggle you, you hurt with them it's and they told me, if you can be anything else, do it. But the truth is that with the calling of my heart, there's nothing else that I could do. That's my ultimate goal is to, to go into full-time ministry. Right now I'm bivocational. I work a full-time job and I do this. But my goal is to get into full-time ministry because that's what God's called me to do. And I can't do anything else. But it's a, it's a noble thing to do, to desire that task. And we begin to see that it's a pretty high standard you have to live up to. At least we look at that and we see that, and you're like, man, that's no room for error. But the truth is that when you have Christ living inside of you and you begin to live out Christ, this stuff comes naturally. If you will, if you will begin to spend time on the Word and have your, your mind renewed, matter of fact, that's what I, the only way I recommend to do it. If you, start, if you make a checklist of all the things you can't do and try to live your life that way, you'll fail over and over and over and over again. I know, I tried it. But finally, you have to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to let you work in me, and let your mind be renewed, and let your heart be changed, and then you'll begin to live these things. But it says, you must not be a recent convert, or you may become puffed up with conceit, or fall into the condemnation of the devil. See, that's why we have to equip saints and help them grow, because when when we're young, like we talked about, it's so easy to be swept away. But when we grow, as we equip the saints and they grow into their ministry, they can be effective for God without being uh, stripped away by false doctrines or any other cunning deceit of man. And then I find it, it's, uh, another thing we see here is says he must be well thought of by outsiders so they may not be fallen to disgrace into a snare of the devil. How many know that it's important to be aware of how you look to others, even outside the church? And the reason that is is because you are an ambassador of Christ. You are a a light sitting up on a hilltop that the world sees, that you are a lamp on a lampstand. And the truth is that as soon as you called yourself a Christian, people were looking at you. And you're doing one of two things. You're either showing them that Christ's love is real, and they see what you're doing, and they want it, and it draws people in, or you're dragging his name through the mud as you say you're a Christian but do very ungodly things. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it says abstain from every form of evil. And actually if you look and if you have a, a, a New American Standard Bible you look up the Greek word for that, that every form of evil what it says is that can be translated to the appearance of evil. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Even if something may, may or may not necessarily be sin or be bad we need to make sure that we are are. ambassadors for Christ and and putting his you know the best face forward for Christ that we wouldn't be known as hypocrites next we see the requirements of a deaconesses and Timothy 3 8 through 13 it says deacons "...likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy, for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus." Deacons are servants in the church. And as we become baby Christians, we just get saved. This is the first thing we should be working into is to be a servant in the body and letting Christ live through us. And if you'll notice that these requirements look awfully familiar to the ones we just read. If you want to be a pastor or if you just want to serve in the church, then this is what we're to grow into. We need to be living godly and holy lives. And the only way we can do that is if we're equipped in the church, if we're equipped and grow up into him. And the last scripture we'll look at today is John one forty three and 1 Corinthians 11.1. In 1. John one forty three, it says, For the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And then in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, Jesus set the example for his disciples. Basically, he said, follow me, do as I do. Watch me and learn how it is you are to be. He led by example and equipped them for the work that they were to do. Paul set the same example for his disciples. He imitated Christ and was therefore a good example for them to follow. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we, in the body of Christ, need to set the same example. We need to be able to walk up to any new believer or any other believer and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you want to grow, do what I do. If you want to learn how to pray, spend some time in their prayer meeting with people that know how to pray. If you want to know how to evangelize, spend some time with people that are out there doing that. As we have our different events, we've had outreaches in the park and our Halloween outreach and all these different things. If you want to learn how to do that, you know, show up and, and see how people are doing it. Imitate people that are godly men and women, find people. You know, if you're a new believer or a young believer, find a godly person to imitate. And all of us that have been in the body for a while, let's make sure that we're being godly persons to imitate, right? So that we can equip the body of Christ for every good work. Amen? Amen?